Okay, ready? Take what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's on. I think about everyone you need. I'm holding it, things are rooting real now. I have a senior woman, you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> this is very similar to how we did the first album. The first album is 10 songs. And it's 10 songs of beats that I went and and collected a bunch of beats and then I went to wherever Yasin was at and I sat and played him some beats and he starts coming up with amazing ideas we should do this we should try that I like this beat I like that that beat and I make mental notes and then I just figure out a way to get him in the studio that's that's how the first album was made you know and, but the, the first album there wasn't there were no mobile studios so I had to actually I, I, I had to actually hire car services and have them waiting downstairs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you know we have a car downstairs. We could we could go to Funky Slice right now. We could go to Power Play right. We could go to Platinum Island right now. But now the new play is now. I'm like, yo, the engineers in the hotel room with the mic that you like right now. We could we could do it right now. Talib Kweli has been my man for. A very long time. I met him before he became a rap star. When I met him, he told me, yo, I'm going to be a rap star. And something in the way he said it, I was like, yo, I completely believe this kid. He's back with a second Black Star album. His first in a long time. He and Yasin Bey have remained friends, but how did they get back to doing another Black Star album? We talk a lot about the process to this second Black Star album and what it's like to be a legendary MC and all the things that have gone into this amazing career in hip hop that Talib Kweli has had. Let's go. It's my man Talib Kweli on Torre Show. I know that you and most have always been brothers have, you know, the friendship never, you know, never changed or anything, but how did it come that like, Hey, let's do another black star album. Cause you guys are both professionally, you know, like going in different directions and stuff. Not, you know, not, you know, you were, you were, this is your second black star album. That's kind of crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, black star was like in hip hop circles, it was a cultural phenomenon. And um, yeah. it was something that really changed the trajectory of both of our careers and um, put us in a place where of, of reverence with the fans. And so yeah. there was immediately a deal on the table that I'm pretty sure we signed a deal. Yeah, there was another Black Star album. There's a Black Star album that we started working on uh, in the early 2000s. Some Jay Dilla beats, some high tech beats, but we never really, really got into the swing of things with that album. Um, Why not? As, um, because I was a solo artist, he was a solo artist. The way in which we move is different. The way in which we do business is different. And so we, like you said, we've never had an issue. We've always remained friends. But what started to happen, just on my end, I can't speak for Yasin, but on my end, our brotherly relationship got whittled down to we would still do black star shows but if i see yasin i'm spending a lot of time with him trying to be like yo let's do this album let's do this album let's do this album and and it we we were saying this to each other like and to me the relationship became about what the fans wanted us to be as opposed to us being real brothers you know what i'm saying and um, it was when Yasin was spending all that time in South Africa is that I went out to visit him in South Africa. And it was, and 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 the trips following that, I stopped, I made a, a, a conscious decision to never bring up the Black Star album. Right. 
Yeah. Like, let I me just stop talking about it. I could see how that would be with a friend who loves you, but he doesn't want to move forward. And this is like, you know, I, I need to stop. I need to start talking about other things with you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure I, I don't want to speak for my brother, but I'm sure that he wanted in those years that he was just excited about the black. So I mean, wanted it just as much as I did or just as much as any other fan did. But I realized that our relationship, you know, I, I had some reckoning to do on my own in terms of my, you know, I was always very competitive. And Yasin has bouts a competitiveness because just by nature, being a black dude from Brooklyn in the hip hop space is a part of what we do. But at the end of the day, his motivation was never about comp competing with other artists or trying to make it in this business. And I can now admit as a grown man that that was my motivation. You know, my, I definitely was like, nah, we got I'm trying to take each other the MC's heads off and I'm trying to put myself in a spin. Like, why am I not in the conversation with Jay-Z and Nas? Why is conscious rap look looked at as 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 something that's not as valuable as street rap? Like these were things that I was focused on. And to Yasin's credit, he was never ever focused on those things. And so that's why you have 16 Talib Kweli albums and five or six most deaf Yasin Bey albums. Because he was making music as the, as the spirit moved him. I was making music to compete and to make a living and to stay on my grind and grind and I'm hustling and rise and grind and I'm I'm out I'm out running everybody and all that type of shit. You know what I'm saying? Which I'm not really on anymore. You're past that. Yeah, and and the the further away I got I got from that mentality, the closer I got to a real conversation about the Black Star album we have seen. So the more time we were just chilling. And I would just, you know, we just listening to Mad, Mad Lib beats. He's he's like, yo, I like that beat. But then what I would do once I once I realized that that's what he was doing. Once I realized that, okay, we're, this conversation is starting to organically become a creative conversation. I started making sure to have the engineer around at all times. And so the, this this entire album, we have not set foot in not one recording studio. It's all been done in hotel rooms and backstage at Dave Chappelle shows. Wow. All of, all of it. So wait, 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 where did you turn the corner from we are not talking about it to it's starting to happen organically to, okay, now we're doing a Black Star album? Uh, this album that we have coming out about three or four years ago, I was visiting Yasin in Europe. And um, he started to, we started to talk about songs to do an album. And so I flew an engineer out just to see what that would be, you know? And I didn't even tell him at the time I was flying an engineer out because I have so much stuff at that time, three, four years ago. Again, I'm, I'm different now, but three, four years ago, I had so many things on my plate that even if I didn't record with Yasin, there's always something that I could get done with the engineer. Um, and so, um, I started, I flew to engineer and there was, there was one, there was one day we were just in a hotel listening to Madlib beats. He was like, cause I had all these Madlib beats and he's like, play that Madlib beat tape again. And I'm playing the beats, I'm playing the beats. And he starts doing rhymes to the beats. And he's like, I'm like, yo, do you want to, we can record that. He's like, yo, we should record that. I'm like, the engineer is next door. He's like, for real? I'm like, yeah. And we went <laughs> next door and that's how we did the first song. What was the first song? Uh, I believe it was probably, it was either Sweetheart or On God. So then you do one and then is he like, okay, let's go. Or is it still like a step? Yeah, step? it was a pretty, you know, again, we started this project about three, four years ago. And there's been like a little, there's been, we didn't record a whole bunch. This is very similar to how we did the first album. The first album is 10 songs. And it's 10 songs of beats that I went and, and collected a bunch of beats. And then I went to wherever Yasin was at. And I sat and played him some beats. And he starts coming up with amazing ideas. We should do this. We should try that. I like this beat. I like that, that beat. And I make mental notes. And then I just figure out a way to get him in the studio. That's, that's how the first album was made. you know. And, but the, the first album, there wasn't there were no mobile studios. So I had to actually, I, I, I had to actually hire car services and have them waiting downstairs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you know, we have a car downstairs. We could, we could go to funky slice right now. 
We could go to Power Play, right? We could go to Platinum Island right now. But now the new play is, now I'm like, yo, the engineer's in the hotel room with the mic that you like right now. We could, we could do it right now. It's, see, I've spent time around both you guys, and, and you kind of are outlining what I thought it was, mm-hmm. that you are like, I, I have this goal. I want to do it. Let's go make this album, or let's go make this TV show, or let's go make this podcast. And he's very artistic. And mm-hmm. does the spirit move me at this moment? And he might make a date with you and just not show up or just change his mind. And you kind of got to be the one who's like, you let, you want to go do that thing you love? Because I know you love making music and making music with me. You want to go do it? Like, yes, but, or yes, let's go. And, right, and like, you're kind of like, come on, let's do this. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, that right there is what I think that's what it is about Black Star, you know? That's what that's what makes it so brilliant and so great is that you would think those two those are two very different philosophies about how to live life, about how to create art, how to how to how to be how to do business in the world of art. And you know, there's time there's things that I admire there's, that look. Everybody know everybody knows about my social media shenanigans. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's times when I wish that I'm like, I what not, not wish, that's the wrong word. But there's times when I think like I'm like the Marvel uh, Disney show, like what if, right? Like what if I decided, what if I just never went on Twitter, right? Or what if I just never went on Instagram? And what if I did, uh, established this enigma personality that Dave Chappelle did and Yasin Bey, and to a large degree Kanye West until he sometimes he goes into that mode but for a lot a lot of a lot what makes Kanye's uh social media powerful is the fact that he'll jump on it and then delete it and then you won't hear from him on social media for a couple years I've never been that type and I've justified it with that same sort of spirit of grinding and competition that I was on a few years back that I'm not really on anymore. I've justified it where it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a movie star like Yasin was. I'm not, you know, the, the $50 million comedian that, that Chappelle is. Like, I'm more akin to a working class artist. And as a working class artist, well, I can't afford to maybe not be on Spotify with this album. Or I can't afford to not participate in the Instagram bullshit or I can't afford to not be on Twitter and stuff like that. But what happens with me is that here's where I, here's where I get fucked up at. Here's where I get caught up at is that I try to participate in that stuff, but I'm not necessarily built for that stuff. Like I'm going to go on social media and want to hold people accountable and want evidence and facts and data. You you were great on Twitter. You were real. You were, I was suspended like, from Twitter, Torre. Image. I was suspended, which means that technically I was not great on Twitter. Like no, I followed you on Twitter. You were real. You were aggressive. You were and yourself. What, and I and I you but here's an image. But you're making my point for me. It's like I, you know what? It's, it's like I'm like I'm like Serpico. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like a good cop. You know what I'm saying? I was like a good cop. And what happens to good cops? You can't be a good cop. The, no, no you get kicked no, out. And so, yes, I agree with you that in a fair world, I was excellent on Twitter. But in the world we're living in, I don't fucking belong there. Which is why they, which is why they kicked me off. <laughs> but when you talk about competition, mm-hmm. were you competing with him with most? Uh, is it okay? I, I, is it okay to call most? That's the name that I always knew him by. Is do I need to say Yasin? I, 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 I call him Yasin. I, I call him Yasin um, uh, because that's that's what's chosen. Um, and he doesn't, I, as his friend, I, don't, I he doesn't hold me to any standard. Like when I'm when I'm with him, I often I often call him Dante because that's who he was when I met him. Right. And but when I'm speaking about him publicly, it's always Yasin. But he doesn't trip if you say Dante when you're no, no, when no, you're no. yeah. No. Um, but um, no, I I will never. I'm not. I don't think that we are in competition. But I will say with confidence that we are absolutely pushing each other. Right. So it's like it's like it's like I I I I can let him explain the ways in which I push him, and I know that I do push him. But the ways in which he pushes me is um, be more um, plain. Uh, you know, like Malcolm, like Malcolm level, make it plain, you know, be more um, concise, be more melodic, have, 
have bigger ideas and bigger concepts and to and to always make the spiritual always make that which is above us the bedrock of why we're doing this you know never to get caught up in the material or the earthly world is really a focus of his his lyrical writing um and so that really it makes me grow by leaps and bounds um and it always has He's a lot to be a partner of. I mean, you're a lot to be a partner of, but like he's not here. You know, if I had to try to keep up with him and make sure, you know, my contribution to the song is, I'm like, that's that's a high standard. And I feel like you are very much in the head. You're hitting me in the head. You're coming from your head. And there's a lot of heart in your music, but you're really in the head. And he's got a lot of heady intellectual stuff that he'll talk about political stuff, but he's really in the heart and in my lungs in terms of rhythm, in terms of flow. Is that kind of how you see? I mean, yeah, I think, guys? I think you, you, you've been around this for a long time. You've been, you've been, you've been chronicling and journaling, writing about music and listening to music and participating in this world for a long time. And you were there, like you were literally, like you were literally there. You know what I'm saying? Like you were in the bookstore. You weren't, it wasn't like, I remember in 98, like, no, you were standing next to us when we were coming with some of these ideas. You know what I'm saying? So you, you, what you're saying is, is very accurate. Um, when Yasin, Yasin has like an incredible memory for lyrics. He's famous for it. He can rattle off Black Thought or MF Doom verses at the drop of a hat. And um, wow. the verses that he likes from me, that he'll be like, yo, Kwa, when you said this, and when you did this, it's when I go into that bag that you just described, that very heady, intellectual, he's striving for that. And so I think that I'm good at that, and that's what he appreciates about my style. Um, and, and so I think that with him, it's more of a natural, this uncanny natural, they call it charismatic. He's described as charismatic a lot. And I think yeah. it's because... Um, when, when we went, the first beats we listened to were Definition and Brown Skin Lady from, uh, High Tech and, and J-Rolls. And I remember, and no, excuse that's, that's incorrect. We went into the studio and he was like, yo, you, sh we should do Boogie Down Productions, uh, the P is still free beat over. And then I should take the self-destruction hook. And I should repurpose it so we're talking about Tupac and Biggie. Like, that's just a sentence that he rattled off. And it's like, uh, sure, okay, let's do that. You know? That's an amazing concept. Right. And then he and then we laid it down. And he laid it down. He had the verse. So then I had to take it, and I had to spend two, three weeks with it sitting there, listening to it over and over again so I could do my verse. And same thing with, with Brown Skin Lady. Like, that beat, Jay Rawls played that beat, the Gil Scott Heron loop, and he was like, yo, this song, like within within three minutes, he's like, this song should be called Brown Skin Lady. And then he just performs the song. Like it was already already formed in his in his brain. And I had songs like that, but back then I'm better at it now. But famously, the the, the one of the one of the one of the criticisms criticisms people have had of my style. Um, beyond it being wordy and loquacious, is people have said that I've sometimes go off beat. And I'm trying to fit too many words to the to the beat and everything like that. And that criticism, um, it, it I don't get that as much anymore because I've gotten I've gotten better at what I do. But even when I was being criticized for that, I never had no issue with the criticism. I always felt like people really didn't get it because it's like, well, no shit. That's exactly what I'm doing. That's what makes the style dope. That's what makes it like different. That's what that's what people who do like me appreciate that I'm taking chances and I'm going outside of the what, what you think an MC should should, should do. I, I never felt like you were offbeat without knowing what you were doing. Right. Like this I was offbeat on purpose. Yeah. Like I was going outside of yeah. the coloring outside of the, the lines and going outside of the parameters of the compositional book. Because that's how yeah. I was writing. That's that's what the writing looked like back then. What do you mean? Well I was you know when you first started that and that error where I'm, I'm from the like banging on the lunchroom table, writing a composition notebooks era. I didn't have a producer or beats. That's why when I got with high tech, my career elevated because I, but before then I was just writing, 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 writing. And whenever I got some beats, I would just take the rhyme to try to fit them to the beat. Now 
I don't, I don't do that anymore. But I don't, I understand that that's a part of my DNA and what created my style. Um, and now it's funny because I even just, I was just doing a song with Terrace Martin recently, and I on purpose tried to figure out how to rap like that, but but writing to the beat. I mean, when I first encounter a rap song, the first thing that I'm really interacting with is the rapper's flow on the song. I may get 50% of what he's saying. I may get 25% of what he's saying but it, or, or she. But if the flow is ill, then I'm like, yo, I could listen to this you know, another 10 times to figure out what they're talking about. And your man's liquidity with the rhyme, with the rhythms and the rhymes is so amazing to me that that, that attracts me to his sound over and over. Yeah, I mean, he's a master scientist and a master teacher with that. And it's like, it's 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 Busy B and it's the nigga twins and it's Slick Rick and it's all this sort of old school, like hip hop. Hip, it's like it's like he was raised in that, you know, and he was raised in Best-Eye Brooklyn at a time when that was a lot of currency to be able to rhyme like that. And then he's super smart and he's a genius and he's fashion forward. And when you add all that with the spiritual aspect, which is really the, 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 the rock of what he does, it just, it makes for the most charismatic rapper who doesn't, who's, who's trying his best to give it up to, to God at all times. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't wanna do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. You let me listen to a couple of the records on this new Black Star album. It's not clear to me what is the difference between 2022 Black Star 
and the first album, Black Star. And it's been, what, 20 years? Mm -hmm. Um, More than 20. So Uh, 22 years, something like that? There must be a difference, but I'm not hearing it. What is you say, that's interesting to me. You're saying you're not hearing a difference. Like it's, it feels like a continuation, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could lay you could lay those records side by side, and I'd be like, you know, th- this this sounds like a, a continuation as opposed to take another duo like Outcast, like 20 years apart. Like this is clearly gone in a different direction. Not necessarily yeah. better or worse. But um, they're clearly I, well, I, you know. The, the DNA of an artist is to experiment and to not be trapped in a box, right? So people love Black Star. People love, you know, for me, people love the early Yassine stuff, Auditorium, all that. People love Get By. And those that's like the foundation of our shows. And we go, if we do a show, those are the songs people want to hear. But Yassine has projects like the Negus Project and, you know, Black Jack Johnson. He has things that, that people didn't necessarily love as much as they love some of that earlier hip hop. And same with me. I've tried different things. I did idol worship. I did fuck the money. I've excuse me. I've tried to rhyme on trap beats. I've done. I've done. I've done some songs with Gucci Man. You know. I've like there's things that we've we've both done that our core fan base, some of those more hip hop purists would be like, eh, I don't know about that. But mm. what we do well is that style of hip hop. And Yasin, by focusing on Mad Lib as a producer, I think. It's Mad Lib is the connector right there. It's like, with all due respect to Shaw J. Period and High Tech and 88 Keys and the people who and, and Beat Miners and Geology and the people who made that first Black Star album, what it what it is and what it was and what it continues to be. I agree with Yasin that other than Dilla, who passed away in 2006, nobody is doing that sound, that sticking to that script and giving us those same vibes. Nobody is doing it in the way that Madlib is doing it. And I think that's why Madlib's sound continues to stand the test of time because of the era in which Madlib is coming from. Madlib was looking up to Diamond D and Pete Rock and Premier and people like that. And then when he met Dilla, him and Dilla had that magical connection. So Madlib is the person who's alive, who's keeping us connected to that era. And so when you he- hear our voices on those Madlib tracks, that's what I think is keeping us connected. What makes Dilla's music so special? I mean, there's this book that just came out, Dilla Time. I haven't read it, but from what I've heard about yeah. it, um, and we're selling it at qualiclub.com, um, but what I've heard about it is um, that it's talking about how Dilla created this new type of way to listen to music, a new type of way to, to make music in terms of you can have a straight-ahead way of of having drum sounds or you can have a more swing style. And Dilla had something that was in the middle. Um, and that's why when you, you know, a, a drummer like Daru Jones, um, who's from Detroit and who's raised on Dilla, or a drummer like Questlove, who wasn't raised on Dilla, but changed the way he started playing drums after he heard Dilla, it's sort of that, sort of that, uh, what we go back to, what some people say is offbeat or falling behind the beat, but it's, it's sort of taking it off the grid. It's taking it off the grid, but still feeling like straight ahead, and competing with the stuff, with the computerized stuff that stays on the grid, it's just making sure that it has that swing and that funkiness and adding that soul. Jay, Jay Dilla was our James Brown, or Nina Simone, or Marvin Gaye, or Bob Marley, Aretha Franklin, all wrapped into one package. You're, what, 30 years in this as an MC? Mm-hmm. Something like mm-hmm. that? How are you better as an MC? Because you said before that you're mm-hmm. better as an MC. And you were, and you better be better. You're freaking doing I mean, yeah, it. I mean, most, most people don't, most people don't, don't stay good for 30 years, you know? Um, but I feel like I'm better. Um, Are you the best MC you've ever been now? Yeah. Yeah, I am. How do you quantify that? How do you know do, that? <laughs> because... I understand my understanding is is better. My wisdom is better. I know more about my voice. I know more about making music. I know more about my worth. And I know more about my my energy. I, you know what? I can't even say that though. Because everything is... I feel like when I was on that grinding, grind mode and being competitive, I feel like that's part of... That's part of why I'm dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like 
if I wasn't competitive like that, I wouldn't still be doing it to the to the level in which I'm I'm doing it. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I just I I I know this. I do know this. You can't really consider yourself a classic MC until you mention me in a song. That's how I feel. I feel like any MC that's worth his, you know, that's that's worthy of the title of super MC has rapped about me somehow, some way. That's how I feel. And I feel like my name is is synonymous, has become synonymous with keeping it real in your field. You know, when Kevin Hart first hosted the BT Awards, he said, I've been doing this for so long, y'all don't put respect on my name. I'm the Tyler quality of comedy. You know, that was a long time before Ke- Kevin Hart is who he is now. But it's stuff like that. When you, hear, when you hear that, you're like, oh my God, like, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, uh, Pusha T, uh, Conway, Kendrick Lamar, 2 Chains, Jay-Z, Common, Mos Def, Black Thought, uh, Mac Miller. I'm just I'm just naming MCs, MF Doom, who have named me in in their songs, and use my name as like a parameter or like a measuring stick for what it means to be dope. And so the respect for my for my peers just means the most to me in terms of this MCing thing. You, I mean, the list of MCs you just named who name checked you. And that's not even, those are just the ones off the top of my head, no, right. dude. No, and that's, I can and, say Gene Gray, Rhapsody, I, we can keep going. Yeah. I can, there's so many incredible, already rugged man, there's so many incredible MCs that have said my name in a song. Will Smith in his book just said, yo, don't, don't, don't send me a meme of like a, of a, he said, don't send me, a, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, don't send me a meme of a Rumi quote. Don't send me one of those uh, memes unless it's going to be a inspirational Tyler Kweli lyric. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's I mean, you're like Willie. I love that. That's yeah, love. Like but are you? But are you saying that you feel like you're underrated? No, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm underrated. Underpaid, maybe, but maybe not underrated. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm rated very highly by the people who matter. Am I underrated by like YouTubers or people on Twitter? Sure. Am I underrated by motherfuckers who listen, who, you know, you know, people who say, oh, I love hip hop because they play like a, a hip hop chill beats playlist on, on Spotify. That doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm underrated by people like that, but do they really matter in the conversation? I feel like at the point, at this point, the people who matter in a conversation and, and the private conversation I have with my, with my peers, um, and, and just doing people's party and the conversations I get to have doing people's party. Um, no, I don't feel underrated. I feel, I feel very much rated. <laughs> I mean, like the, the love from real MCs is clear. I keep hearing you saying something that to me sounds a little like, you know, like I'm still grinding because, you know, not everybody understands, you know, the, the quality that I'm bringing and I'm getting that respect well, from my peers, I- but there's a group of people who aren't giving me that love. Well, I mean, I, I think that's just real. I, I, it's real to say that what you're speaking to was a was a definite concern of mine up till ten, maybe five years ago. You know what I'm saying? But since then, especially with the pandemic, which I believe has changed everything for everybody, right? Like, really, towards the with going into the pan, going into the lockdown, the first lockdown, I was already at a space where I was like, "Yo, I have to get off the road." Like, yo. I don't need to put out an album every year. Like, yo, I don't need to be on social media as much. And then the pandemic happens and I get suspended from Twitter and the road stops. And it was like the world God was like, oh, I hear everything you're saying. Let me, let me force, let me, let me do a force quit on that because you're saying this, but you know, God was just holding the power button down (laughs) on the laptop of my life. <laughs> I like that one. I'm gonna write that one down. But I think that's what I think that's what happened. And 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 I mean, sure, I'm, I'm more I'm more active on Instagram than ever since I got suspended from Twitter. But I'm not nearly as active on Instagram as I was on Twitter. So Instagram's a totally different vibe. It's so much nicer. It's kinder. 
it, you know, Twitter, it can be a cesspool of toxicity. You know, Instagram is not. Yeah, my, my Instagram comment section is like Twitter. Yeah, it's, it's like Twitter, but people don't go yeah. as hard. They go, they go just as hard. As a matter of fact, it's so much like, like some, a lot of it is literally people from Twitter who were like, he got suspended for Twitter. Let me go troll him on Instagram. Like, that's what the shit, what the shit is. <laughs> Are you like leaving? For real. Like, who's trying to put up messages? People will say to me in the comments, like, you, I've been feeling this way since Twitter. I'm like, <laughs> you're over here now. You followed me over here. They, look, <laughs> I want to put this down on the record, you know, as an important historical MC. I want you to talk about how you make a song. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, and I can't speak for every MC. For me, it's it's a song by song process. Everything's every different. song has a different DNA. I mean, and, and you know, there's some patterns, um, but I mean, even even yeah, it's not even. I guess you start to fall into patterns in the process of like making an album. For me, like, but every song is is got a different inspiration, a different way that I wrote it. I've written songs on toilet paper. I've written songs on the back of receipts. I've, I've, I've freestyled songs in the booth like Jay-Z. I've done mushrooms and written songs in the ocean. You know what I'm saying? Go listen to that one. It's a good one. It's called Ocean Song. Wait, wait. I'm very proud of that. You were on shrooms in, in like, like in the water or on a boat? No, in the water. (laughs) On shrooms. Yeah. And then I'm sitting, and the, the entire song, three verses and a hook came to me in my brain while I was in the ocean on shrooms and I, I, I got out the ocean and I went and I wrote I wrote it down, but I transcribed it from my brain, you know, just from like, just out there in the ocean for like an hour. Like, that's one way. I, that's the way I wrote that song, you know. So are you, are you write most of them? Oh, yeah, I write. I, yeah, I mean, that whole like going to booth and vibe and just think of it in your head. I've done that a couple of times, but that's not that's not usually how I write. That's not how I write at all. Um, most of the time I am definitely, I mean, at this point I'm writing in my notes. I have, I have notes and notes and notes in my phone, like the notes, the notes app is, I don't even know if it's called an app, whatever on the phone. Um, that's what I'm doing now. But, um, I did it on my, before the phone got, before the uh, smartphones were, got really good with the notes and all that I was writing on my laptop. Um, but, um, I, yeah, I haven't written in a composition notebook in quite some time. As, tell me if this is happening to you, Torre. Does your does your penmanship suck now? No. Because we're always on the computer? No, no, because I write a lot. I have like a yeah, lot I don't. of Yeah, okay, so you're still like... There's, there's times when I'm lazy and I write something and because I'm old, I'm like, I wrote a list of things I have to do today. I don't know what that fifth word is. And I wrote it and I don't... Because you're, yeah, because... Yeah, that happens to me. My penmanship is awful now. Like, it used to be so good. That's why I'm speaking on it, because it's awful. But when you write, are so is it like I have a beat going, or I can come up with lyrics without a beat? Is it kind of like I'm flowing, or is it like I it's, it's, think about I, like each word? I, because I do music for a living now, when I first started this, I didn't do music for a living. And so I just wrote when I, I just wrote whether I had a beat or not all the time. My preference is to write to the beat. Right. As a as a musician who does music music for a living, that's my preference. It's just it I get better I feel like I get better results more consistently. It's a more efficient way to write. And it's that thing you were talking about what you like in Yasin's style. Um Hello. he's always hearing everything to the beat. Um and so that's my preference. But not everything, you know, sometimes I some one thing that people underestimate about me with social media when I was on Twitter, like that shit was giving me bars because having to write in 140 characters and write, write, I wrote a good, write a good tweet. Sometimes I write a good tweet and delete it. Like, nah, I got, that's a bar. You know what I'm saying? So it was like an exercise for my brain. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes, yeah, I'm just, sometimes I'm walking down the street or I'm just like, I don't have a beat, but I'm just seeing things and bars pop because I'm still a poet. I'm still, I'm still a journalist. So it was like bars pop in my head that way. And then when I get a beat, I try to fit them to the beat and try to fit them. That happens all the time. That definitely happens all the time. But my preference is to write to the beat. So you, 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 you're listening to the beat. Does it take a while usually, or is it quick usually? Um, I'm better now. I mean, I can remember I told you when I used to have to take songs, Blackstar songs to the crib and spend two, three weeks with them. Now I could write a song in five minutes 
I could write a song in a half hour. I could write a song in a day. It might take me a year to write a song. It, it really just depends on the song at this point. But yes, I am, I am at the point where I could just hear a beat and write a song immediately. Is it verses first, and then when the verses come together, then the chorus? That's a great question. That's a great question. As a, as a lyricist, as a known lyricist, whatever that's supposed to mean, the lyrics have always came first for me in my career. And so every time I wrote, I would hear a beat and I would write the verse. And then I'd get to 16 or 24, I'd get at the end of the verse, I'm like, okay, shit, I need a, need a hook. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not good at hooks. Anybody got some hook? Anybody got some hook ideas? Call Faith Evans. Get Faith Evans in here. Like, you know, that's that's what I would be on. But then I, later in my career, I'm like, okay, it's my career. I can't depend on other people for hooks. So I started challenging myself to write hooks. And so you, when you hear the Black Star Reflection Error, most of that is other people coming with the hooks. Then we get to quality, beautiful struggle. I'm starting to challenge myself. Like, hey, I can't just always depend on people for the hooks. But then... I, I never forget an interview with Jay-Z where he said, he was talking about writing a, give it to me, just give me that funk, that, that, that song with Pharrell. And he said, I write my verses as if they are the hooks. He's like, I write the verses in a way where I want you to sing, a, so, sing along. She's like, it's about to go down. And, and, and then I was able to write better hooks. Um, and then I was able to get to a place where when I hear a beat, my gut reaction is to start thinking of bars, right? But now as an older, more experienced songwriter, I'm like, ooh, but hold on. I can get to the bars later. I'm good at that. I'm, I, I can figure that part out. What is this song about? What's the hook first? And then the hook will inform the bars. And so that's what started to happen later in my career. Okay, so now you've written it out. You go in the booth. Uh, can you just flow a song in one take or are you punching like how does that go um i definitely enjoy and take advantage of the punch uh button and punching in there were a lot of mcs or my uh my peers who fucked that i don't want to punch because i want i want it to sound natural and i commend that i'm not i'm not holding myself to that standard you know what i'm saying there's verses of mine there's definitely there's definitely a, a large amount of content of me punching, uh, not punching in. There's verses like that, but I, but I, that that's about having a great engineer. Um, at this point, the engineer I told you, Federico Lopez, that's the guy I flew out for the Black Star sessions, right? So, what's happened with me in recent years? Like, if I just come up with something creative and I'm not around my engineer, and I try to go in and work with another engineer because he don't know my rhythm, he don't know where to punch, or he don't know my inflections like that, he's not an expert on me, on recording me, within a half hour, I get frustrated. Mm. And I'm like, eh, this ain't the state, this ain't the vibe. So, I'm, so let me just fly Federico in, put him in a hotel, spend so, extra money. So is it that you record a verse, did it one or tw- once or twice or whatever, you come out, you listen to it, you're like, okay, this is working, but this third part of this fourth line, I could do better. So let me go back in and punch on that. And this fifth line, I could say that better. Let me read yeah. like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And the key, but the key is you have to, all of that stuff that you're talking about, you have to do it in that moment while you're in the vibe for that song. Sure. Because if you, if you do, for me, if I do that, if I try to come back through two or three days later or a week later, and I'm like, okay, I like that verse. I've been listening to it for two or three days, but I don't like this one line, or I don't like the way I way I said this one part. If I try to, if I if if I try to like mimic the energy that I had when I was laying the verse, I can always tell the difference. Right, right, right. So whatever punches or changes I want to make, I try to do within that while I'm doing that song. Um what what's the difference you're you know you are one of the first mcs to talk with me about punching i think there's a machismo thing that people get into where they're like yeah i just spit the whole verse and if i don't spit the whole verse then i just start over and like you've never been wrapped up in like machismo or whatever you know and it's like yeah i punch like Everybody I mean, yeah, I know MCs who punch and I know MCs who don't. I, I, I don't 
I don't I I would bet you know I'm I'm guessing here I would I would bet that most rappers punch in. Right. But most rappers say they don't. <laughs> okay, well shit. They cap it. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Shantae, the host of Edges. Edges is a storytelling podcast where Black hair and mental health intersect. It's about all the choices that we make with our hair, all the choices that are made for us, all the things that we have no control over, and how that all really impacts our identity, both how we feel about ourselves and how the world perceives us, for better or for worse. Subscribe to Edges on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. What's the difference between a good MC and a great MC? <sighs> Being conscious. I think that's the main difference. A good MC becomes great when he starts talking about the social conditions of what the people are going through and is able to do that in an effective manner. And that's why there is no, I mean, there's not, the exception to the rule, there's always one, right? Is Notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. He's the exception to the rule where he, you can't really point to an example where he was really like doing like, tr- on, on purpose, doing like socially uplifting Mm-hmm. Raps. So maybe the sky's the limit record with one twelve is the closest. Or everyday struggle is another one. Like everyday struggle, sky's the limit is the closest. But like Jay Z, for the you know he's got some mentions here and there of social things. He'll sprinkle in a rhyme. Well, he you know and he started he start like there's the evils is a conscious hip hop record, and there was mm-hmm. like and that's on his debut. There's a lot of consciousness on the debut. Then on volume one and volume two, he got really, uh, really flossy, really, really champagne-y. And then on volume three, you start hearing uh, Life and Times of Mumia. And you start hearing like, you start hearing like the Black Star Dead Prez influence on Jay-Z by, by volume three. And but then when, by- he, when he's talking about getting shot, uh, shooting his brother on the first album, I'm like, that's an, that's an incredible record. That's an that that tells me you're an incredible MC, and maybe this fits into what you're saying because he's being conscious in that he's going into his heart and telling you something real that happened to him. But it's not. There's no social consciousness. There's no political thing to the record. But it's a deep human interaction. Well, yeah. I mean, Jay Z. I mean, you know, Jay Z. His social consciousness is not like I'm black and I'm black and I'm black. It's like it's reality rap. It's what he said on the Get By remix. He's like, I rather. I, 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 picture me working at McDonald's. I'd rather pull a Mac on you. That like picture me working at McDonald's. I'd rather rob you with a Mac Ten. Like, but that's a conscious lyric through the lens of Jay Z. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I, I got a theory, Teray. My theory is that every rapper, every street rapper that survives to forty becomes conscious. Sure. Like, and I feel like Jay. 
but that's human, right? Like the yeah, older yeah, yeah. we get, the more we see the world and not just not just see uh, ourselves. Yeah, Jay Z looks and sounds like seventeen year old me. <laughs> I used to have like wild dreads. You know what I'm saying? Like the shit it Jay-Z sounds like a diss. I know it's not a diss, but it sounds like a diss. <laughs> it's totally not a diss. It's like seventeen year old me was a was a dope motherfucker. Like. <laughs> 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 Yo, do you I, I do you remember when we met? I don't remember when we met. I feel like I've known you forever. When did we meet? Oh, we you were I went into Inkiru Books, uh-huh. um uh bookstore right in downtown Brooklyn. You were this behind is like, this, is, this is Long Dreads Torre. Long Dreads Torre. You were behind the counter okay. working there. Okay. And you were like and you knew who I was and you were like, "Yo, I'm going to be a great MC. Okay. And like other people had said things like that to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been like, yeah, sure, money, whatever. But the <laughs> right. way you said it, and it wasn't egotistical. It was very, it was almost factual. Like, yo, I'm just pulling your card. Like, I'm going to be a great MC. We're going to interact later. Like, you know. And I was okay. like, something in the way you said, I was like, yo, he's like, I got to, you know, I got to look out, you know, because he's not. He's clearly not fucking around. He's like, right. no, I'm telling you I'm dope and it's going to, we're going to like vibe. That's dope. And, um, you know, it wasn't, it was maybe in under 12 months that you started, you know, like dropping stuff. It was like, oh, that's that guy who okay. told me he was going to be the shit. <laughs> right. And you bought in Kiru. I was like, yo, money used to work there. And now he <laughs> owns the shit off of MC and yo, this shit is crazy to me. I, that's, that's, I, that's a, Shout out to Aleothi Miller Owens and Miss Miss Miller, but yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that was that was part of it, right? Like, that was a that was a tough thing. It was I I I lost a bunch of money in that time, and I went into serious tax debt for buying that bookstore, like serious tax debt, like almost went to jail type type of tax debt from buying that bookstore. But the cultural currency was worth all of that. That's like, that's, that's, that's great. That's great. That investment almost fucked you up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bert Padel. I never get it. We got, you know, rest in peace, Bert Padel. He was like, yo, do not do this. He was my accountant at the time. He was like, this is a terrible idea. Do not do this. And I was like, no, Bert, you don't understand. We got to keep the bookstore in the community. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, no, no, you don't, you don't have to do that at all. <laughs> I remember this one accountant I met who had a lot of big money hip hop clients. And he had something called the stupid letter. And if you <laughs> wanted to buy something stupid, uh-huh. you had to sign this letter that was like, I acknowledge that this purchase is stupid and uh-huh. that you have informed me that this purchase is stupid. And I still want to go and buy this chain or this car or whatever it may be. And I was like, wow, that's, that, that, that's amazing. Cause that shit is real. That makes sense. I mean, you know, there's, there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of predatory uh, accounting going on back then even with my situation like you know he you know recipes to mr padel he didn't want to look he didn't want to look stupid he didn't want me to lose my shirt but it wasn't like it wasn't like they were really like giving me like smart advice you know what i'm saying like that was just basic you know what what have you learned from Chappelle about art and performance just being close to him Wow, I've, I've learned so much. I've learned not to count favors, and I've learned, like, one thing about Dave is, is that I've, when you've made, he's more, he's he's one of my more wealthier friends, and when you've made as much money as he's made, like, everyone is trying to get money from you, and so. It's weird because sometimes I'll, he'll be in a situation with someone and I'm like, I know for a fact that this is someone who was trying to get some money out of him. I was bringing my grievance, like, how could you hang out with this person? They did this and that to me. And he's like, yeah, but this person still loves you. And he's like, when you make a, well, he said, when you make the money I make, you got to realize everyone is like, they're, they're, this person's relationship with money is different than your relationship with money. And he was just able to help me let go of some animosity I had over some money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Like that was that was a big lesson that I learned from him. And it's like, and then it made me realize I was like, here's a guy who, I mean, even with everything this, what they're trying to pin on him this week, you know, it's because someone who's been so generous, so generous, at a loss to himself, at you know, financial loss, so generous with his money, um, that. But I, I realize it's because he doesn't. It's never been. It's never been about chasing money for him. It's 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 not even the not even the money. I feel like you have never been about the money, and you've never been about maximizing. Like you're a good businessman, but you're not about like let me maximize every dollar I can get out of this entertainment business. Um. Yeah. That's that's accurate. Um. I'm. You know. I come from. I come from educators, and my people didn't teach me about money. I, you know, I learned about money when I made some, and that's not really the way to do it, <laughs> you know. And um, you know, again, like for me, it's culture over everything. Culture over everything. That's why it was like it was a no-brainer to buy the bookstore. The the Chappelle thing you said was very interesting. Anything in terms of performance or you know verbal that you've learned just being close to him um i've learned uh how to i've learned how uh stand up and the sort of setup punchline uh format of stand up can be helpful to me as a hip hop artist when i during the pandemic he was doing shows in a cornfield and i wasn't doing any shows and when i when I got up to get on stage, I couldn't really remember the lyrics because a lot of what I was doing was based on muscle memory. I was doing so many shows that I really wasn't present on stage. And so what I learned during the pandemic, the, the, the lockdown is to be more present on stage. And um, when, I, when, when the world opened back up, I started doing shows. I had, to, I had to teach myself the lyrics and relearn the lyrics to a lot of my songs, even, even big songs. And because I was nervous at not having a mastery of the lyrics, I was able to banter on stage and I was able to do things on stage like a stand-up would because every night I watched Dave Chappelle and Donnell Rollins and Michelle Wolf and Mo Amer and whatever com comic was in town every night, I'd watch them perform on stage. And um, I was already kind of an expert, uh, super fan of comedy. But what I, you know, my knowledge of comedy now after spending a, a year at Yellow Springs with Dave is just on Super Saiyan. Um, the other, oh, I just wanted to reminisce for one more second because the other thing, the other moment with you that really stands out in my memory, you may not remember this either. My first day at BET, you were part of a big hip hop show. I think it was at BB King's, something in Manhattan. It was like multiple artists. Okay. And you came late. And because uh, probably because you were headlining or close to headlining and we had interviewed all the artists who were there and wrapped up and you were off in the corner backstage, like back in the hallway. And you were like, yo, we about to spark this L. You, you trying to get down? I was like, and back then I smoked. it. I was like, hell yeah, let's do the shit. And we smoked the shit. It was crazy, serious headbanger shit. So I was like. <laughs> in the fucking zone. And then my producer's like, yo, I see you talking to Talib. We got an interview with him. And I'm like, yo, that's my man. And it was my first day. So I couldn't be like, yo, I'm really fucking stoned though. So I'm like, <laughs> let me try, like, sure. Let me try to make this happen. And I know they turned the shit on and we start talking and I'm sure it was terrible. Oh, I gotta and try like, to find this. We're barely taught. I maybe asked you like a meandering question that kind of like trailed off. And you were like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then it just <laughs> meandered into silence because we both forgot. Like, <laughs> like, that was the worst interview ever. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I, you know, what's funny is that, um, that there's like from like 2004 to 2011, 13. <sighs> It's, I was doing 200 shows a year, drinking most nights, smoking every day. A lot of that shit is a blur. Like wow. a lot of that era of my life where I was, and that's what, that's like the pitfalls of that grinding, hustling, right? I, I, I was, I'm making a lot of shit happen, 
but I don't remember a lot of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I got a song, I got a, I was doing, I was doing, during the pandemic, I was doing DJ sets um, on Instagram. And I was like, and, but I was like doing, doing a like specific, I was like, I'm gonna do a DJ set all juice crew, right? All juice crew tonight. Right. So, but then my, you know, you know how I am, Tori. I'm like, my shit gotta be thorough. So I'm spending my whole day listening to obscure Juice Crew songs from Juice Crew members, things I never heard, so I could just pull them out in the set, like, oh, you ain't know about this one. And I came across a Craig G song that was, that was he did an album with Marley Marr, and I'm like, oh, okay, I, mi- I missed this Craig G. Marley Marr album. I didn't, I didn't, you know, and I'm listening to the song, and I'm on the fucking song. <laughs> I'm on the song, and not only... And not only on the song, the verse was fire. It was like, I was impressed with myself. But then I was also immediately mad at myself, right? Because I'm like, how? I'm like, yo, in 1987, 88, when the symphony dropped, these were superstars to me. You know what I'm saying? So Talib from Brooklyn, how did you do a song with Fred G and Marley Marr and not fucking remember it? You know what I'm saying? What type of bullshit industry bullshit are you on but then i had to think about it and i'm like yo it's because these people became my contemporaries and my peers and if i had to guess i was probably high and drunk sometime in the mid-2000s and craig g probably was like yo i'm doing because i don't have a relationship with marley i did have a relationship with craig g like craig g probably hit me like yo hop on this song i probably was in the studio he probably sent me the beat I wrote it, laid it, and sent it back to him and never thought about it again. Never, never stopped to play for my friend about this dope verse that I did last night. None of that. Like, just probably laid it and sent it out and never thought about it. And I've done that a bunch of times. There's a bunch of things that I've done in that era. Like, when you're telling me these stories, I don't remember them. <laughs> I know I was there, but... <laughs> no, that's incredible to come up on a record that, like... Wow, I didn't realize I was on it. Like you start to play a record. Oh, this record's jamming. This beat is hot. I wish I was on this beat. I am on this I beat. I am on this beat. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. That's exactly how it happened. But do you practice? What you mean? Do you, do you practice emceeing? Like if you were a basketball player? I do player, now. I didn't used to. What does that mean? How does what does that like, look like? Okay, so like you know when I started practicing? After the lockdown, after the lockdown, I was, I was, I was, I don't even recognize the person I was from before the lockdown, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, think I, I was doing 200 shows a year. I'm running a label. I'm doing activist work. I got my family. I'm dropping 16 albums in the, in this 20 years that I'm doing this. Like I was just on some machine shit to the point where I was like, I wasn't, I, like I said to you, I wasn't, I don't even remember some of those moments. Cause it was just like, it was a constant thing. And it was like, so it was it was autopilot, Torre. It was autopilot, but it was very good. Like I was doing, I was getting standing ovations and crowds demanding encores and getting critically yeah. acclaimed on autopilot. Yeah. Well, now after the lockdown, my priorities have shifted. The grinding and all that shifted. So now I'm not in the constant MC st- stage anymore. So now, if I have a show, before I used to, oh, I have a show. I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm tweeting up until I get on stage. And I'm, do, I'm delivering a fantastic show, hopping right back on Twitter and hopping right back into the, running a label and hopping around. Now I'm like, okay, if I have a show, I'm taking a day off before the show and getting prepared for the show. I'm going to sound check. I'm thinking about what kind of, I'm thinking about different, I'm just thinking about it all, I'm thinking about it all differently because I never want to be an autopilot again. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I love that. What's your superpower? What's the thing you do better than other people that's led to your success? <laughs> I was born to answer this question because I've already decided this. My superpower, I have two superpowers because you can have more than one, right? My superpower is writing, like the written writing, um, the bars is a superpower. It's got me where I'm going. And being a connector. And getting around incredible people and being able to connect incredible people. Like when you think about, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn. I don't want to brag. But you, if, you, you're, if you're asking the question, what my superpower is, is the connection. Me connecting high tech with most deaf and me connecting, 
you know, me, me wanting to be an electric lady and bringing Dave Chappelle through electric lady and, 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 you know, or just all these things. Like my, my focus has always been like all of us together, team building. I feel like is connecting like, like incredible people getting together. Like, like, like my best friends are y'all seen a Dave Chappelle. And one thing they say is like, damn, Talib knows everybody. Like when we do Midnight Miracle, you know, when we have Midnight Miracle, if you listen to Midnight Miracle, we have a Sada Baby episode. It's because most deaf is talking about how much you like Sada Baby. So I'm like, I'm going to get Sada Baby on the phone. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's- episode was incredible. I, that show is incredible. Thank I've you. listened to every episode. I love that show to death. Thank you. We got some new and ones coming Sada, up. The, the Sada Baby might be the best episode. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I didn't even, I didn't have a relationship with Sada Baby. Like I had a relationship with Royce Five Nine. And when Yasin said Sada Baby so much, I'm like, somebody got to have Sada Baby number. Cold Royce got Sada Baby number, got Sada Baby on the phone. He couldn't, he, he didn't even believe it was me. He's like, no, nah, hell no, nah, this ain't Tyler. Hell no, nah, stop bullshitting. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, yo, uh, me and Dave Chappelle and, and most definitely want to call you. He's like, oh, fuck yeah. Thank you so much to Talib for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garfano. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. Hey.